Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's Helen from the Squiggly Careers podcast. I hope you're well. If this is the first time you've listened, let me tell you about the Squiggly Careers podcast. So it's a weekly show where normally me and Sarah, but I've got some guests today that I'll tell you about in a minute. We dive into the career topics that we know people need some support with. So whether it's about interviews or difficult career conversations or making a decision about your development, we have got some insights, we've got loads of ideas for action, and we just want to give you a bit of confidence and control over your career development. All of our episodes, and there are over 300 now, they come with pod sheets and pod notes. So if you want to reflect in your own time after you've listened, then I would suggest downloading the pod sheet it's got some coach self questions it's got all the ideas we talk about in summary if you just like a sort of swipeable thing to come back to then pod notes are great for that we often put them on social media on our linkedin pages and on instagram too and if you want to talk about this we have pod plus it is a community that runs every thursday morning for 30 minutes and we'll dive a bit deeper you can ask questions you can connect with some like-minded learners it's just a really safe space to get some career development support and it's all free we really really care about everybody having access to the career support they need which is why we do this podcast and it's why we create all of those resources too so i'll make sure that you've got the links to that in the show notes of this podcast you can email us we're helen and sarah at squigglycareers.com and it is also on the website as well which is amazingif.com hopefully that is enough now let me talk about what we're doing today I've got some guests. I've not got Sarah. I've replaced her with some experts because we're going to talk about neurodiversity. And you're going to hear a conversation between me and Dr. Samantha Hugh and also David Pugh Jones. So let me tell you who they are and then I'll give you a quick summary about the areas that we talk about. And then I guess we'll just listen and see what we can learn together. So let me start with Sam. So Dr. Samantha Hugh is the founder of ADHD Girls and a neurodiversity and ADHD keynote speaker and consultant. In her work, she's always bridging two worlds, those with lived experiences of neurodivergence and those who don't, because her aim through her work is moving towards integration within society. Then I've also got David Pugh-Jones on the podcast and alongside David's 25 years of working for organisations like Microsoft and BuzzFeed Europe in advertising and content and creative, he is also a trustee and a founding executive member of one of the fastest growing charities in the UK, Neurodiversity in Business. It is a business and industry forum for organisations to share good practices on neurodivergent recruitment, retention and empowerment and it launched in Parliament in March 2020 
2022. And it's now got over 500 corporate business members, including Google, IBM, Virgin, GCXQ. So I really wanted to bring these two different perspectives together, the kind of neurodiversity in business, like what can we do in organizations and somebody with lived experience, they sort of, you know, what did I need? What have I benefited from? What could we have more of? And you'll hear that hopefully in the conversation that we have. So first of all, we talk a little bit about language. So when we talk about neurodivergence, what do we mean? And also how important are labels? We talk a bit about what can make word harder for people who identify as neurodivergent or maybe people who don't even know they are, but what typically feels harder for people who are neurodivergent and then what we can do to help them in the conversations that we have, the environments that we create. So I hope that you will learn as much as I did from the conversations. And if you've got questions after today, if this just sparks some thoughts, then let us know. I said email us Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com and we'll try and answer them pod plus and I might also be able to go back to David and Sam I'm sure they'll be happy to help so we can get some of those questions answered for you but on to the conversation hello Sam hello David welcome to the squiggly careers podcast hello hi thanks for having me Oh, pleasure. I'm very excited to talk about this. I've been doing quite a lot of research. I always feel like quite a responsibility when it's a topic like neurodiversity to understand enough that I can ask insightful questions. So you can decide at the end whether my questions are insightful enough. But I'm hoping we can dive into both of your different experiences and insights so that our squiggly careers community can understand a little bit more about neurodiversity at work and understand what they might be able to do differently to support more people to succeed in squiggly careers with a sort of neurodiversity hat on. So can we start with language and labels? Because when I was doing my research and I was diving into this, there's a lot that fits under neurodiversity. So when I was looking at it, I was talking about autism and dyslexia and dyscalculia and dyspraxia and ADHD and Asperger's and Tourette's and OCD and bipolar there's a lot and I was thinking how do we is it okay just to call everything neurodiversity or is it important that we distinctly label different conditions that fall under that if we're going to help and support people with this more at work David what do you think well I was going to offer over to Sam first but I suppose there's the twofold answer to this one is it's okay to talk about neurodiversity and all of the, the elements that envelope that. But equally, is, is it's also right and good to talk about the challenges as people have in business, whether they've been diagnosed or whether they haven't, or they're, they're contemplating it. And so I, I do think that there are individualities between them, but yet there's a unique story and a compelling point to talk to businesses about the fact that there are so many people that are so different. Whether you're neurotypical or whether you're neurodivergent, it doesn't really matter. But the real premise here is, is is that we focus on making it the workplace, whether it's remote, whether it's hybrid, whether it's in person, as accommodating and as actionable and as personable and, and the right environment for those individuals, whatever they've been diagnosed with. Yeah, I mean, I was going to add, actually, I mean, that's all really insightful, David. And Helen, you know, because you mentioned whether people would be happy, you know, to be lumped under the umbrella of neurodiversity. I suppose it works for the employers and employees, you know, for employers, they want to include everyone. And so when they, you know, go into, you know, thinking about something like an event or a process, they would generally put neurodiversity as the umbrella term. But then for individuals, you know, sometimes 
neurodivergence would prefer, you know, to have the specific label for themselves as a validation, mm. you know, for what they go through. But there's quite a bit of trepidation, you know, and anxiety around disclosing and opening up about your specific neurodivergence at work. But ultimately, you know, if we need to get the support, then we need to kind of say what it is. People would need support based on what they need rather than the label anyway. It can be a double-edged sword in the sense that it can help the individual, but then if they are then disclosing to a workplace where people don't understand, then the label can conjure up the history of you know what these people have encountered with ADHD or autism, and it can be accidentally discriminatory. You know, and that's why we need to have like more awareness in the workplace so that, you know, people can get on the same playing field and we are on the same starting point with what we understand around neurodiversity. If we can foster working environments where neurodivergent individuals can thrive, then it's to the benefit of both the person and the employer. So there's an element of empowerment, there's an element of recognition, and there's an element of education, help and guidance. And if you start to contemplate all of those elements, then we're definitely going to get to a better place for everyone involved. It's just interesting just to go back to what Sam was saying, because I felt when I was looking at things that there was almost like a tension between on one side sort of going, well, why don't we just create environments at work where we say well no two brains are the same no two brains are the same and so we have to create a space where everybody can be supported with what they need from work but then on the other side of it some brains are specifically different and then we need to understand those specific we can't just go oh everyone's different it's fine actually there are some very specific differences that might need different levels of support which is where the labels come into it and then I tied myself up in knots because I was thinking but the more labels we have the more alienating that might feel to people who don't understand that so then they don't have the conversation so I do think it's hard I mean it must be very hard for individuals who are trying to work in environments that aren't designed for them but then for colleagues that want to support them to try and understand that when language could be an immediate barrier to okay well how is dyscalculia different to you know whatever else it might be it's I just thought language can sometimes be so important but it can also be quite exclusive I think if you don't understand those terms you might think oh you know, I'm silly because I don't understand that. So how can I possibly support somebody with it? You're right, actually. You look to the future, I think. Like what you were saying, it's, it's kind of like an advanced understanding of, yeah, no two brains are the same, but we're not there yet. Like Especially with ADHD, we, you know, can see the evolution of understanding from the beginning where it was known as a naughty boy syndrome and then it was behavior and then it was disruptive and then you know suddenly women could have it as well and adults could have it you know so then we are as a society is catching up with this understanding and with neurodiversity you know the whole concept and the revolution it's boomed in the last few years but it's a concept that has existed since the 1990s you know but the reason that it's come into relevance now is because, you know, we've had like this global pandemic and everyone has had some form of mental health challenges. Now the neurodiversity movement is getting bigger because more people are getting diagnosed. And when they get diagnosed, they are then told that actually you can get reasonable adjustments in your workplace when you have a label. Then there comes that anxiety of then disclosing. You know, but eventually we are in a society that's divided between those who are neurolabeled and neuro not yet labeled. And it was Judy Singer who said this in the podcast. I suppose she coined the term of neurodiversity. 
And that is where we are going towards, you know, eventually we are going to realize that we're all different, you know, and in order to, you know, have a workplace that supports everyone, then we need that systemic shakeup. You just on that note as well is, if you think about when we were back at school and all those individuals listening, you're going to remember friends, colleagues, individuals, classmates, even you know, whether it was school or university friends. And you're going to remember incidents and you're thinking, hold on a minute, were they being difficult? Were they in the wrong environment? Were they feeling stressed? All of those scenarios where all of a sudden you're seeing just a huge plethora of people, individuals, business people, fabulously talented individuals that are now coming out and saying, look, I'm neurodivergent. I've been diagnosed with X. And all of a sudden, this answers a lot of things in my head as well as those things. And I think it's just that awareness that we need to just keep pushing. And it's not to say, look, we're trying to put more barriers in place. In actual fact, it opens up those environments for people to discuss and talk about things where they can sort of become a little bit more of a chameleon and understand which way or how they need to shape conversations or how they need to speak to people or even the environment that they need to be in. And that actually, for me, is completely and utterly refreshing. And David, you touched on, you you know, that this is better for business. And when I was looking at some other stats, like it is significantly better for business if we create environments where neurodiverse people can be at their best at work. I was looking at the, some research done by JP Morgan and Chase that neurodiverse hires were on average 90 to 140% more productive than employees who've been at the company for five to 10 years. And that Forrester found that diverse organizations were more profitable and innovative and they did a better job of retaining their top talent. So you're like, okay, this just makes commercial sense. But then you look at the stats about neurodiverse people more likely to be unemployed and even in a job, they're more likely to be underemployed, like their strengths are not utilised. So what is going on? What's like the legacy in organisations that is not letting neurodiverse people succeed in businesses? Is it is it recruitment? Is it structures? What Was it well, education? I, mean, I think it's a combination of all of the above. So... You just look at our corporate members that have signed up, you know, 500 corporate members since we launched in Parliament just over a year ago. You know, we're talking Sky, GCHQ, Oracle, Unilever, the list goes on and they recognise that. But equally, as you think about it from the hiring process, is interviews can be daunting at best for all of us. And if the interview process, let's just assume pre-COVID, when we didn't all turn our lives into this virtual world that we now sort of live in, you know, attending, getting on a train or traveling to an interview, meeting someone that they'd never met before, getting questions that they hadn't prepared for. And even now in this hybrid world that we live in, it still can be super daunting for those individuals that can't even get past the first hurdle into a company to showcase their skill sets. And then, of course, they're getting to that environment and then they need to navigate how they work with people, the conversations that they're having with different departments and products and people. There's far too many hurdles right now that we still need to work out. We just need to understand how we can approach it in a different manner that is better for all involved. And so if we just imagine like a typical listener's working week, so I would imagine they like a typical working week, 
back-to-back meetings, quite a rushed lunch, probably in a meeting with the camera off so no one can see the meeting, more emails than they can possibly respond to, Microsoft Teams or Slack or whatever's going on, messages pinging everywhere on their phone, on their, like, that's most people's working life. Are you talking about my day yesterday? (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about my day most days, yeah. (laughs) But that, that, you know, that's the thing, that's hard for everyone, right? It's it's exhausting and tiring and it often feels, you know, just difficult because you can't get everything done. So I appreciate we're talking about a range of different conditions within neurodiversity, but someone listening might be like well that's hard for me too that's hard but someone specifically who would identify as being neurodiverse what would make that harder why is that harder for somebody who's got ADHD for example Sam what's harder about that working week very interestingly I was looking at your stats you know 85% of people on the autism spectrum are unemployed compared to 4.2% you know I wonder if that stats include the people who are diagnosed later in life who have been able to kind of hide their challenges, you know, eventually comes out as mental health challenges. You know, and part of the reason why it's difficult is because those of us who may not have known the way our brains work for decades and finally understanding it, you know, we are dealing with like increased mental health challenges like depression, anxiety, you know, and sensory processing disorder, you know, that becomes more pronounced as we, as women get into our late, late 30s and 40s, where the impact of hormones are also there to compound the challenges of ADHD and autism. I think a lot of it is, you know, all the things that David mentioned, the inaccessibility of the hiring processes and the retention issues that circles back to culture. And I ran this ADHD best practice at work conference last year. And the biggest takeaway in that is that people, neurodivergence, feel that their biggest fear is that they are misunderstood because they try very hard, you know, to conjure up this image that they're coping. And whilst I was working in corporate, people always say that I look so calm and I was doing so much work so quickly. But then I always think about that image of a swan paddling, you know, very rigorously underneath, but on top, I'm just like, you can't see it. But I was also dealing with panic attacks and like the anxiety that was manifesting as tummy aches and sore throat for the entire time I was in the contract because I was also dealing with a line manager who was very like of the micromanager type. I couldn't, you know, have that kind of person breathing down my neck and that added to the anxiety of never knowing when you're going to be called out and embarrassed in a meeting because they're also quite direct and blunt, you know, and later on, like someone said to me that they suspect that, you know, maybe that person is on the autism spectrum, but also said in a way that was, you know, obviously very stigmatized because I get on with her, but I didn't like the way she managed. But then other people would say that. So we're dealing with people who are not understanding of what it really looks like. If people are acting that way, they are stressed themselves. Managers themselves probably have more stress with the team members of, and needing to do so much. And in order to appear like they're doing enough then, or doing good work, then that stress will have an impact on how they talk to people as well and how they relate. Look at it this way. In a realms where we were expected to work nine to five and take lunchtime at lunchtime, 
People are night owls, they're larks. They work best at different times. If you want to get the best out of me, do not ask me to do anything between 3 and 4.30. Fortunately, we've just missed that window. Um, but, <laughs> but the point is, is that I'm not firing on all cylinders then. So the expectation is, is that an employer or a leader of a team that has a very diverse bunch of individuals, whether they are neurodivergent or neurotypical, doesn't really matter in this scenario. It's actually is, is how do you change and adapt the way that you manage and work or collaborate with your peers or any individuals in a business that aren't the same. And that's the beauty of this is you've got to work with people. And I think that makes us better human beings in the long run anyway, is, is not to assume that we're all lemmings and that we all love turning up at 8.45 and starting at nine o'clock in the morning. It just doesn't work like that. And the sooner we, the businesses work out that they start to adapt and use talent in the right manner, then they're going to get the best out of them. So can I like also imagine in my head, I've got like three parties in this conversation about how we make work work for everyone. So you've got the manager, that's a big enabler of it. You've got the individual who's kind of owning the outcome because it's their career. And then they've got the team that can support kind of the system to be in place. So we start kind of with the individual, which requires for an individual to say, this is what I need from work. That requires a level of confidence, I suppose. Like Sam, for you now to not feel like that you're going to be discriminated against, but to say, well, this is who I am and this is what I need, that takes confidence. So if you were to advise somebody that was maybe Sam 10 years ago, like, you know, with, maybe with that manager, Sam 10 years ago, and we're trying to help them to be confident to have this conversation, this is who I am, this is what I need my work to be, what advice would you give to that Sam? Be gentle with them, Sam. <laughs> well, I was uh, very not gentle with myself. You know, I was the kind of person who would overwork and burn out and then, you know, try and give people too much. And in fact, I was doing two person's job 10 years ago, but then getting paid less than the other person who was, you know, actually not doing the job. So if I were to say that if 10 years ago they had some understanding of neurodiversity, I would only open up if I feel safe to do so. If we have a choice, you know, 10 years ago, if we had the choice that we have now, I would say that every company needs that awareness session, you know, where we frame neurodiversity from a position of strengths and abilities. Intersectionality could do to one's life circumstances, you know, and how these impact the way they show up in life. Because we are all humans, right? That, that, that's how I introduced my talk. I'm a neurodivergent, but I'm also human. You know, because we all have been through stuff. You know, we have different circumstances. Some of us are parents. Some of us are caregivers. These also impact what we need at work. But if 10 years ago when I was single and I didn't have all these problems in my life <laughs> from looking after little people and juggling a business, I would always come from a position of strength, remind them of why they hire me you know, what I could do better than anyone else. And like you say, 90 to 140% more productive, right? That was me. But I also need to have a break sometimes. But yeah, start from there and then say, you know, I have some challenges around doing this. It doesn't impact my intellectual capabilities or my ability to shine. But if you could support me with this area of my work, then it could help me give you more, you know, of what you need and help me put my strengths where I need it to be. And Helen, I, I love your podcast because I had a squiggly career myself. And 10 years ago was the start of that, where I ran into 16 different industries. And if I had the confidence then to say, you know, actually, I didn't really like this part of my work, if there's another department or somewhere else you could recommend me within the same institution, then I don't have to leave and start again in a totally different industry every single time. 
And then I did that so many times I had existential crisis. I think like career development is one of the biggest, you know, thing that would help neurodivergence because we are either the kind of person who love to do this one thing for 20 years or the type of people who take a break every year and a half because of burnout and boredom and then try something new. So I've done that. I'm the latter. I love that. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So from Fram's perspective there, it's like focus on the strengths, which I absolutely love. And then what support do you need to be even better than you already are? I guess that's the kind of perspective. So I love that. Now, David, let's imagine I'm the manager. I'm a manager who cares. Like I, I, I really want to care, but I don't know how to have this conversation. What would your recommendation to me be if you're like, Helen, okay, you want to make a commitment to doing this. These are the types of conversations you should be having with the individuals in your team. I think open, candid about what environments make you perform your best. So it's an obvious one is, is help me help you is the scenario there is, is that you're really just trying to build up a relationship so you can recognise these. And invariably, when we were all in these office environments, it was probably easier because for a year and a half, we only saw everyone above the shoulders. So we didn't see the, the hand. We didn't even see things like stimming, right? Stimming. You know, there's lots of individuals that stim, and yet now they're in these working and maybe environments explain that, that term. So if someone's listening, they might be thinking, I don't know what that means. Explain that term. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting enough, if you don't mind me saying, Sam's got a lovely little squidgy football in her hands, and I've got a squidgy fish in here. That And sometimes it's like a stress ball, but stimming effectively is an action that showcases and, and Give you an example. My son is a, who's twelve is autistic, and when he's happy, he stims by flapping his wings. You know, he basically he looks like he's flying, and it is the most beautiful thing in the world. But if you put him in a scenario in a supermarket, and he's stimming and making a, a monotone sound that's going, and then it goes up and down. He'll get looks thinking that's not normal, right? But he is in the most joyous environment in his world right now, and the way that he showcases that is by flapping his wings. So that's just one example of stimming. But there are many forms of that that adults probably do. And in some cases, they may be doing it listening to this and not knowing that they're stimming. Yeah, yeah. In my talk yesterday, the women were saying that they bite their nails 
you know, play with their hair and they scratch themselves. You know, there's so many ways to kind of release that anxiety and that excess energy, you know, that you are dealing with at all times. And especially mm. when you're asked to sit down and, you know, do some work and concentrate, the movement actually gives us, it charges our brain. And so we need to do that. And some of us have learned to hide it in school and in workplace. You know, the releasing the excess energy makes a lot of sense because there's so much and that's just the way that it comes out. That definitely makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to have that conversation as a manager. So I'm going to be able to sort of understand a little bit more about what helps individual people. So now let's imagine we're all in a team together. I mean, a great team, maybe. <laughs> maybe we won't do the test. We're all in a team together. What are the conversations we should be having collectively? I'll, I'll kind of kick off with something that we've been trying to do is in our team. We've been working with an organization called The Other Box who have something called the Diversity Dictionary. It's really cool. It's all online and in our team, meetings we've been watching a little bit of the diversity dictionary and having a conversation about or do we all get that need to do anything different have we got any questions about it and basically just working it through in our team meetings it's not it's an ongoing thing it's not like oh you know on Wednesday 21st we'll watch it and we'll never talk about it again it's just something we kind of regularly have in our team meetings so that's how we've been you know to your point Sam about awareness is important that's how we've been trying to have a safe conversation about something that might feel quite uncomfortable have you got any other ideas as a team what and how we could be talking about this so we create that safe space on an ongoing basis yeah i I love that helen i love that you said safe space because it's like it's almost like i think someone said chatham house rules where when we enter this room you know these are the rules nothing comes out of it we won't be judged (laughs) It's, it's a safe space we're not going to do anything just because you said something after this and yeah so it's about challenging some of the biases people have without even knowing they have. You know, they don't even really know that until they're being asked. You know, how how do you do it in a non-confrontational way? I follow this person called Esther Perel. Oh, I love Esther Perel. Don't get me started. She's like mm. my hero. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I bought this kind of cards, but the then I think she, she, she has some in her, on her website as well, where you can play like these games, you know, where you have questions in it that your team can play together and, and like, you know, to really understand where each other is at, you know, on a topic. And this can be constructed and tailored to your preference, you know, and as you say, you have a diversity dictionary. And for us, it could be like, what are the common misconceptions or myth? Maybe neurodivergence are being misunderstood at work. And another question, which is a good one is, actually, sometimes when neurodivergence do get the support, other team members who don't have a label or a diagnosis, they might feel that it's unfair to them because then Mm. someone has to take over that workload. And sometimes it's the person, because all this rests on how good your management is and trying to like divide the responsibilities amongst people and really work people to their strengths. If not, then there are going to be team members who will feel like, you know, this isn't really fair distribution. How does it work for the context of the team if you're going to make this adjustment, you know, for one person? That is a very tough thing to do for a manager. They have to think, on the benefit of everyone. So sometimes it might even be helpful, maybe the second or third conversation down about reasonable adjustments to invite the neurodivergent to co-create this this solution that would help the team. Like, because we would love to solve problems anyway. And if we can make the ND feel included and actually actively sort their opinion on how to help in order to help them, like, like, like what David is saying, how do I help you help me? How do I help? Yeah, you do your best job. Help everyone, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> so it's less of an isolated intervention and it's more, it might start from an individual's 
perspective on what they need from work but then it becomes more of a collective opportunity about well actually how could this be better for everybody yeah and and, and the other thing is is that look not to be a, too much of a donny downer because i am a huge optimist here but we're not going to achieve everything this is not all fluffy clouds and and rainbows and unicorns tomorrow but the good news is at the speed of not just large corporate business in the uk but globally um with the help of web3 i'm trying to help build out this experiential digital experience where people can help with the accelerating whether they can get diagnosis so there's lots of environments in the digital realms that will help people understand how they can better position themselves in the working environment and of course alongside that is is the element of education right so we we continue to run research programs there's continued we just did a piece with Berkeley College which is absolutely fascinating and Sam's seen some of that work it, it, honestly if you go to our site and go to the research piece you can go through and see it all it's incredible and that was with you know a thousand neurodivergent people and over 130 corporate businesses that got involved in that and it was supported by some fabulous companies including Rolls-Royce and Sage you, or you can see People want to experience it, they want to celebrate it, they need to empower it, and they need to demonstrate that they understand and recognise that they can make a difference. So if we combine all of those facets together, I think all of a sudden we are getting into a very, very good space in the working world. I agree, and we will put all the links to that. We'll put it in the show notes, we'll put it in the pod sheet so people can find all these things easily. But I, I wanted to end on a point that you've made actually, Sam, which is about squiggly careers. Now, I am entirely biased, obviously, because I think squiggly careers are better for everybody. But when I was looking into neurodivergence and the fact that actually these kind of underemployed talents that often people have and one of the principles of squiggly careers is that we should focus on talents not titles that actually you know it's the talents people bring that that's the benefit of the organization not just the titles that they've held and we're doing a big global program called squiggle and stay we're doing some experiments about 16 organizations across the world to basically help people to develop in different directions within their organizations so to your point sam when someone's experienced a bit of boredom which we all get and when some people's experiencing a bit of burnout which lots of people experience Experience and perhaps more in this context, that there are different opportunities for them to develop within an organisation so they don't feel that they have to leave to sort of escape that. And so we're trying to work on this. And this is why I think that Squiggle and Stay and Squiggly Careers are better for everybody. But I just wondered whether, from either of your perspectives, you know, the opportunity for people to develop in different directions, the opportunity for people to be defined by their talents and their titles, whether you thought that, you know, basically I'm trying to get to, do you think squiggly careers, rather than this ladder-like linear world where we plan everything out and we're sort of progressing in the assumption is that we should all become more senior and that everybody wants to get to the top, can you see the benefit of squiggly careers for people who are neurodivergent as well as neurotypical? Oh, my God. Sorry. I, I, I really struggled to not blurt out, yes, yes, <laughs> I know, yes. I, know. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> You know, it was like... I should have stopped talking sooner. Sorry, I get so passionate about it. It's so cool, though. You know, like, I, I wish this was more of a thing, you know, back when, way back when. Because, you know, if, if it was accepted, I didn't have to struggle so hard between each pivot and how to make everything I do, which was so random at the time, how to make it relevant in my career. When I applied for that job in communications, I was surprised I got it because I, I was doing like kind of science and then I went to writing and then I did a bit of acting and presenting and then I did a bit of translating. And then in the end, like I somehow managed to kind of convince them that I'm a good communicator, you know, by doing all that. But yeah, I mean, there's one thing that I found recently I love, but not many people know what it means is career lattice. 
And you might have seen it because, you know, the career ladder is what I think 10 years ago, what we thought was supposed to happen in someone's career and everyone seemed to be specialist on something and then they just go up the ladder you know it's all about butts on seat and you know eventually climbing the ladder but career lattice is where you have like a squiggly path within your organization where there's an option for you to develop you know in various areas the skills that you want to adopt the things that you want to do that could be a different interest you know to what you I started off with and, oh, I and yeah that. just having that career lattice is so helpful in building the the skills that we need for the future of work yeah and you know what advice to those that do hear this and including advice to myself i like to say it out loud once in a while just to remind myself is it's okay to go sideways to do something i was interviewing a, a, an old agency friend last week and they were working on this thing called side hustles so you don't have to then get off the lattice or the ladder whatever you want to call it but you can find those things that you love and enjoy until they get to a point where they give you the financial freedom to say I don't need to do this anymore. I need to do this. And you'll be amazed is, is that invariably most people's careers, mine, most of my stuff has, has been either by the lovely friends and net, beautiful network that I've had or created or built up and also by pure and utter accident. Right? Sometimes these things just fall into your path and then you think, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. And sometimes you just got to embrace that and go for it. So I think we're at the end now of the conversation. So if people... Any final words of wisdom? If someone is listening to this, maybe they're thinking, oh, I think I'm neurodiverse, but I don't know and I'd like to find out how I can. Or somebody who's like, I really care about this and I want to help. I think we've shared a lot so far, but is there anything else that you would like to share to support people who might be in either of those situations? Maybe Sam, if I go to you first. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I'm thinking about, you know, because from both perspectives, you know, because the reason a lot of neurodivergents don't stay in employment is because they get burned out, right? And they leave their work. And then workforce now, they are trying to promote neurodiversity and trying to be inclusive. But also the whole like selling the strengths thing can go one bit too far where we're literally employing people based on their strengths and expect them to, because we've heard that they could work to 140 to 200%, then we expect them to do that. You know, but there are a lot of neurodivergents who are then actually don't agree with uh, all this because we are so easily burned out and we will give you everything you expect of us because we don't want to disappoint. We just want to do our best. So at the end of the day, we are needing to employ people based on what they do really well, but also make sure that they're happy and healthy. That means so much more than, you know, actually to employ someone based on their strengths. Because yeah, it's important we work to what we are really great at, but also we need someone who has our best interests at heart as well, because otherwise it won't last. You know, within a year and a half or two years, you'll just be so burned out that it manifests as depression and you just have to leave. Well-being is the only way to keep sustainability. So it's sort of employ people for what they do well, but create a culture where we support wellness. And it's those two things together have to be in place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think health and happiness, by the way, Sam, are just, you know, that is on point, is we all need to be happy and the happier the better we perform it doesn't matter in whatever it is in life but the other thing is is don't underestimate the power of the people that you have around you whether it's friends family or people you just enjoy their company because talking about whatever it may be is a release mechanism that actually helps you to make conscious decisions about what you would do next 
And it may be a little bit unbiased in the sense that you don't realise and you just need that rubber stamp of approval from someone in your ear that's just giving you that tiny little nugget of information for you then to go on and do that. And we are fortunate, is as I think, in this post-pandemic world that we have become kinder to each other. And it sounds terrible that we had to have something as awful as that to get to this point where we recognise the true value and what people can do. And now we just need to embrace the fact that everyone is very, very unique, very talented. They have their own unique skill sets. That, and now what we need to do is harness what we're brilliant at. And you know what? If you're average at something, just give it up and try something else. You know, <laughs> don't focus on the mediocre. Focus on what you're awesome at. And trust me, everyone is awesome at something. Oh, I love that. I think that is a brilliant, a brilliant point to end. Um, well, thank you so much both for your time. And we will make sure that everybody has kind of links and resources so they know where to go next after this conversation. But thank you. Oh, thank you. Helen. Oh, thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to today's discussion. I hope it sparks some thoughts from you. I really hope it gives you some ideas and actions you can take back into your organisations as well. All the resources will be on our website, amazingif.com. And if you want to get in touch with us at any time, we're just Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. In next week's podcast, we're going to be talking about how you can de-risk your career decisions. So if you have got a decision for your development that is on your mind and you are not sure what to do and you've maybe got some worries that are getting in the way, that could be a good episode for you to listen to you can subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss out wherever you listen or you can go to our website and you can get access to Podmail. it comes out every tuesday and it will talk about the topic that we're covering and it'll have the links to all those resources that i've mentioned small details are big surfaces Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.